This is the What Now Podcast. I guess just in summation, a little formula I like to use with my clients and curiosity. So understanding you and where your thoughts and perceptions came from, plus compassion. Add in daily repentance, which really is involving the Lord. How can I improve? Please help me. I'm sorry for, and I'm willing to. That equals change, peace, and progression. So that's something I try and keep in my mind. This is the What Now podcast, where we discuss topics surrounding cultural norms in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing for our church community. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with nurse and counselor Becky Berry about how she learned to embrace her body image in a healthy way after overcoming an eating disorder that plagued her life during her later adolescent years. Becky shares helpful insights surrounding body image and how to avoid the temptation to compare and categorize ourselves in an effort to embrace our body in a healthy and productive way, as well as useful resources for youth and adult treatment. Today, I am here with Becky Berry, and before we begin, I'd like to invite you to share just a little bit about yourself so listeners can get to know you better. Yeah, you bet. My name is Becky Berry. I grew up in the Bay Area in California, and I moved out here for college. I did grow up struggling with an eating disorder as a teen, and so I was in and out of treatment from age 17 to 19, and ended up in college in Utah, and then ended up at a treatment center in Orem, Center for Change, and that's actually currently where I work. So I've worked there for 18 years. I was a patient there 24 years ago, and it wasn't in maybe my thought when I left there. I went to nursing school and became a registered nurse and ended up having a back injury. And Center for Change, I'd spoken for them for several years in sharing that recovery is possible and there's so much hope in life. And they knew I was a nurse and after I'd injured my back, they called and asked me to come work for them as a nurse and it worked really well. And I've been there since and I have two boys. I have a 19-year-old boy and a seven-year-old boy and I'm married to a wonderful husband and his name's Steve. And I love people. I love connection. I love to be a conduit of love and light in any way possible. I love music. I am also a part of a humanitarian organization called HEART, Humanitarian Aid Relief Team. And we've gone to Ghana several times in India to bring medical care to those in communities that may not have resources. And I also do some life coaching and run therapy groups at Center for Change. That sounds great. Well, I mean, that leads right into what we're going to be talking about today, which is kind of the subtle connection between body image and body dysmorphia and eating disorders. Yeah. So in our society, as you know, better than anyone with the field that you work in, Today, there's an overemphasis on body image, which is exacerbated by social media and other factors. So how can we create a healthy balance between taking care of ourselves and not over-obsessing about our body and our appearance? Oh, such a great question. And in that question, there's so much personal introspection and work that needs to be done. It would be great if it was like a, if you know this, a box check. 
But there, I'll be talking about some similar foundational principles throughout this that you may not think is correlated to body image and body dysmorphia and eating disorders. But the foundation for anything is pain. Any disorder, any addiction, any distraction that we struggle with in life, there's pain underneath. And these are just the outward ways that we cope with trying not to feel pain. So in our society, Elder Holland gave a beautiful talk to the young women of the church in 2004, and he is pleading with us to accept our body shape and size and stop comparing to images in the media and to each other. So there are a couple things I want to talk about. One thing that will help us is first to know our spiritual DNA. And President Nelson talks a lot about knowing our spiritual DNA, because if that's not a foundation for anything you're trying to heal, it hasn't been possible in what I've seen in recovery. So once we have that knowledge, and that's a continued prayer to continually know every day, because we can all forget and we can all be distracted and we can all struggle. But if you have that foundation, then you can start working on your body image and your connection to your mind and body. Another thing is learning to have gratitude for your body and that spiritual connection. And then the other thing I would talk about oftentimes with body image is comparison. And comparison is really human. We all compare. And one of the things Eleanor and Teddy Roosevelt have both been quoted to say that comparison is the thief of joy. And so I do firesides and some Relief Society and young women get togethers. And in it, I show a picture of this Great Dane, this huge Great Dane. And he's got bows like a cute little knitted top. Then he's looking down at a little chihuahua. And the big Great Dane says, she is so cute and so skinny. I totally need to go on a diet to look just like her. (laughs) And how often do we just look at someone else and compare ourselves to them and we either put ourselves above or below or them above or below us. And it disconnects us from Heavenly Father, ourselves and them immediately. And we feel kind of that pit and a little bit lost. So I would love to share a quote that really impacted me when I heard it by Sherry Dew on comparison. She says, Satan is particularly fond of what we call the three C's, comparing, competing, and categorizing. Why do we compete with each other? If we all had the capacity to work at our peak every day to build the kingdom, which none of us have, there would still be more to do, more to accomplish, more to get done, and more people to influence. Why do we therefore not cheer for each other's gifts, contributions, and sincere efforts to make a difference in the world? Why do we make comparisons that are never fair? Why do we have an insatiable ego to label and categorize everyone when no one can be defined by a one-dimensional category? We are not supposed to be alike. We weren't given the same gifts. None of us were given all the gifts of God, but we were each given at least one spiritual gift. And the reason seems obvious. The Lord needs a full spectrum of talent dedicated to his work. He also wants us to work together, rejoicing in each other's strengths and together compensating for each other's weaknesses. That is why comparing, competing, and categorizing 
it traps us and it's a natural fall we seem to repeatedly fall into and those traps are deadly. So it's interesting because it's like, I hear something like that, but if you're 16 and all your friends are in these cute little bathing suits and on the beach and you just don't have that kind of body type, I mean, it's really hard not to compare and categorize yourself. Oh, you know, you know I mean, how do you, yeah. How do you talk to kids that are like in high school who are really dealing with this? Oh, validate heck out of the culture right now. It is so focused on body and media. And what I will usually talk to them about, because oftentimes with youth at Center for Change, I don't bring up the gospel of Jesus Christ. I talk about higher power. But when I'm talking to teens, and especially if there's a spiritual component there I can bring in, you know, I will really talk to them first about like, what does Satan have that you don't? He does not have a body. You have a body. So if he can get you to worship yours or someone else's or despise yours, he wins. And that will disconnect you from your your spirit and from your peers, which of course, all of us are seeking love and acceptance. But if we don't first start to look, how do I seek up? How do I look up and not out for acceptance? That's the practice that will then be able to come into healing body image. So I try and start with a foundational thing. And then sometimes I'll give them some stats that 98.5% of us can't look like the ideal portrayed in the media. So the rest, the 1.5% maybe can, the rest of the 98.5% of us will have to go to more dieting extremes to try and get the body that somehow we think will give us worth. And that is a lie. And anytime we start to believe that lie, which is understandable, all of us go into it, then right there will disconnect us and we won't be able to hear the truth as well. And that will bring up anxiety and depression and fear. And Satan will run with that. It's interesting because body dysmorphia Just the definition of that is a mental illness involving obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in appearance. The flaw may be minor or imagined, but the person may spend hours a day trying to fix it or try cosmetic procedures or exercise to excess. And it's interesting because it just seems so monumental considering the stat you just shared that only 1.5% of people have the perfect zero body that's portrayed as kind of the norm. Yeah. In these beauty magazines and online platforms and things. So, of course, we're seeing so much like emphasis on body image and then the fallout with eating disorders. Yeah. Right. You'd have to go to such an extreme to get into that percentage that isn't your percentage. That's why there is so much extreme in the world. You think of like dieting industry, it's a $75 billion a year industry. Yeah. With a three to 5% success rate. What other industry has that little of a return that continues to grow every year? So how did you get past it when you had an eating disorder? Like what kind of triggered that in you and how did you get past it? Because the kids I've known, like I had a couple of friends growing up who were anorexic and they just said it was the one thing in their life they could control. It was a control thing. No doubt. And the truth is a control thing is in all of us. It just depends where we go with it. So for me, that was how I tried to control my life when I felt so out of control. So I grew up and when I was going through puberty, there were some 
different people in my life and dance teachers and my family life was was struggling at the time. There wasn't a lot of stability in my home. And I found different comments from people that were close to me were telling me I needed to lose weight and I wasn't thin enough. And I believed it. It wasn't like a comment that went in and out that stayed with me because of the things I couldn't control that were going on in my home. Myself was struggling, my self-esteem. I didn't know of my worth. And so something I thought maybe I could control that if I lost weight and if I looked a certain way, then maybe I would be more lovable. It was something to focus on and maybe I'd be happier. And so that's when I started dieting and that need to try and control the pain and not to like, I didn't understand where it was coming from, that not enoughness. I can continued on with that for the next several years in, it was full on body dysmorphia and anorexia. And I ended up at Stanford Hospital several times in a few year period. And I remember like fixing my heart rate and fixing body medical concerns that were out of whack, but my thinking wasn't changing. My brain started getting fed, but my thinking wasn't changing. Then I remember going to like an EFY over the summer and it was, I think I was 14 and that it changed. Like I had a spark of knowing who I was. And that's when I would have hope is when I could connect to a knowledge spiritually and I could feel the love from my savior and through the atonement. That is when I started to feel hope, but I didn't know how to hold on to that. So for me, it was a continued struggle and journey. And when I went to college, I remember thinking, I'm going to leave my eating disorder at home. I want to be free from this so much. And I didn't have all the tools to look at where my thoughts started and the things I believed about myself that weren't true from a young age, far beyond 12. That was just the trigger for the eating disorder. And so I went into Center for Change when I was 19 years old, and I learned skills of self-compassion and inner child work and taking responsibility for my things, but not other people's things. And I did a ton of spiritual work with myself and a few really close friends. As I got out, it was still super hard. Went to UVU nursing school and I had several roommates and they would always talk about dieting and body image. And there's such a diet culture. And those were the day-to-day struggles of, I know that that's a familiar place and I want to stop eating right now, or I want to change my clothes 20 times to feel better about myself, or I keep looking in the mirror, all of those things. And if I could, I started like saying like a prayer just in the morning or throughout the day of like, I understand why I feel like this. Help me to have that self-compassion and please help give me strength and courage to change. And as I continued to ask for help and strength, more people would come into my life and I could see blessings. And as I tried to understand the atonement and work on my thoughts, it was like a cognitive behavioral therapy with the atonement combined. A little bit of all these different types connected together. It was a step-by-step where I would have roles where I'm like, I can only change one time a day. That's it. Then I'd leave my room and go. And I would grab my arms, kind of like a little hug for myself when I started spinning in my mind. 
And I'd just be like, okay, this is super hard. I wonder where this comes from, that curiosity. I wonder where this started. That makes sense. I've thought this way a long time. It's going to take time to to change. Yeah, to have patience with yourself when you've been going through something like that for years and the mental process of changing your thoughts. Because we all can get in these cycles where we just think these negative thought patterns and to change that thought pattern to be something positive is really important, huh? It is. And I realized a little bit more about like what, when I heard the word objectifying, I remember thinking like I had only heard it in maybe a sexual term of women being objectified. And I had somebody say, how do we as women objectify? And when I think of objectify, it's to see myself or someone else as something rather than someone. And in Sherry Dew's quote, she talks a lot about, or she says like, no one is a one dimensional category. And when I think of objectification, it's putting someone or myself in a one dimensional category. It dehumanizes us. And I just thought, you know what? I do that so much more than I want to. And it's really human. So instead of like thinking, oh, I don't objectify or that person, getting critical of it, it's just seeing where do I do it? I can't, if I'm not like open and self-accepting to see where I go into that, I won't change it. How often do I compare? So that awareness at the beginning of how often am I body checking? How often am I comparing when other men or women are walking by? How often? So that awareness and then that curious of when did this start? Oh, I started doing it. I remember that comment. Oh, I started doing it here. I heard my mom talking about this or my friend. Oh, that makes sense. How did that shift my perceptions throughout my life? And that willingness to look with a self-compassion, not a critical space, it's a healing place to then allow the atonement to come in and help you do the work inside of each of those to heal that. And it can completely be healed. So that self-analysis seems like a really important part, that get curious self-analysis, where did this come from? When did this start? Kind of tracking it makes sense. I know shame and guilt are talked about in so many different spaces in the world today. And I do think it's really important to understand, and especially in a spiritual sense, like, is this shame? Does this sound like something Satan would tell me? Because he doesn't have a body and he wants me to either worship or hate mine. Or is this something I actually did that harmed myself or someone else and I feel guilt and remorse for? And I can change. There's hope inside of guilt. So learning that, if you haven't already learned it, is so helpful in overcoming body image, body dysmorphia, any type of eating disorder, or any addiction. So the Center for Change, is that in Provo, Utah? In Orem. Yeah, it's in North Orem. And it's a 58-bed, no, 56-bed facility. And it is, and then several day patients. Okay. So when people go there, they're probably in a serious situation. Yes, they are in a serious situation, whether it's physically or emotionally. A lot of misperceptions about eating disorders or body dysmorphia is that you have to like look like a textbook anorexic. And that's not true. I'd say maybe 20% look like you could spot them and wonder if they have an eating disorder. And the rest of everyone in there looks like the rest of all of us, but they are just as mentally ill inside. And so I think that misconception is really important to look at. So how does someone know when they need to go to a facility like that? Like, how do they know when it's really to the point where they're out of control? That's a good question. 
I would just say if it is disrupting relationships where you're not able to have relationships. So first of all, medically, like go to your doctor and check. You need to run. And if you have an active eating disorder, you need to monitor your heart and have an EKG and run electrolytes. So those medical things need to be checked. That's one way people are going to the center for change. The other is chronic feelings of no sense of self and inability to hold a relationship because that comes in between all of it. It affects whether you go out or not, where you eat. It's constant avoidance of emotions. A lot of suicidal ideation, self-harm is so common at Center for Change. I'd say at least half, if not more, struggle with self-harm. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Why is that so connected? I mean, spiritually, again, it's another way for Satan to get us to harm our bodies. So that's connected. But I would say, so self-harm, what I see a lot is the patients will say, when I cut myself, I don't have to feel. I'd rather feel physical pain than emotional pain. Wow. Now, what's the danger of feeling the emotional pain that they'll focus too much on how inadequate they are, that their body doesn't match what their ideal is? They don't know what to do with all of the anxiety and depression and fear of like, if I eat this, then that will do this. And then someone will think this, or I will feel this. It's so fearful based. All of this has the base of fear, which fear is a liar. That is Satan. Right. That kind of fear. And so that they don't want to feel all of those feelings that come along with the work it takes to look at why that's there. So if I can feel physical pain, then I don't have to go to that spinning place, at least for now. It's a temporary fix is what a lot of these women and girls and men say. And then it's also become a little more socially accepted now. It's more common, I would say. Really? Yeah. Self-harm is really common right now. So back in the 90s, when I was in treatment, there were some people that self-harmed, but it was hidden. And now it's a little more open. And it's just, for me, I see it. And it's just a, a way of attempting to deal with pain. It's an awareness to kind of go, oh, I can see that person is struggling that way. And some don't cut outwardly also. It's a really common thing, especially with body image and eating disorders. So that's interesting. So if kids are resorting to that, that's a clear identifier that they're not dealing with their emotional pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then they need to get into counseling for that emotional pain to be able to manage that. For sure. Some medical and maybe suicidal spaces need to go directly inpatient. But yeah. I will always start with a family doctor. And I'm happy to give a bunch of family doctors, at least around here, that are really great with body image and eating disorders. Are you in Orem, Utah? I am in Orem, Utah. Yeah. Okay. So at least in the Utah County area, Salt Lake, there's lots of resources if those are needed. And then I would get into a therapist and or coach. And if you have an active eating disorder, you're binging, purging, compulsively exercising where you have to, you'll exercise if you're injured. It feels like I have to do it or something then a dietitian would be really helpful as well. So getting a team and then who do you admire spiritually? Who feels grounded to you spiritually that will help point you back to your savior? Because he is the ultimate healer. Yeah, I mean, that is a key component. I mean, I think of all the different counseling and the 
life coaching and the facilities and centers and places you can go. But if you don't have some spiritual component that can help your spirit heal, yeah, right? I mean, this has got to be so damaging to someone's spirit to go through something like this. Oh, it is. I love this. This is a quote I often use in these firesides from President Nelson. He says, pray to discern between God's laws and the philosophies of men, including the cunning counterfeits of the adversary. Through eons of time, Lucifer has honed his craft. He is skilled at distraction, distortion, deception, and misdirection. I plead with you to avoid his cunning snares as you would the plague. And so some questions when I wrote down about this is, what are counterfeits in your life? What do you see? What do you see? And I'm going to focus a little more on body image and here, but what do you see on social media? How do you feel when you look? Are you comparing? If you are, it's okay. Take note. That's just something to take note of and to start bringing in the Lord there. If it's something you want to change, you can heal it. Invite a therapist. So for me, I could pray all I wanted. I needed help. I could not do this on my own. Yeah. I needed a therapist. I needed a dietitian, and I needed a medical team to get me to a place where I could do it on my own with the Lord. So don't try and just take this on yourself if this is bigger, because that's often a lie too, is I should be able to do this. Right. No, he gave us so many tools to bring us back to him ultimately. But I don't do anything on my own ever. I look to him and I have great family and friends and resources to help point me to him. Yeah, I like what you're saying too about faith and works. Sometimes people say, well, if I have enough faith, this will just all go away. But sometimes people need real treatment. Absolutely. Many of us do. And there's no weakness in that. There is a strength in knowing that and in follow through. I will do this and I will follow through, you know. There's a, a 1% better talk given in general conference a couple years ago. And the Lord loves effort. And if we are willing to put in the effort and follow through with ourselves, that creates a courage, a strength, a self-love, little by little, that will improve your body image. So if, if you want to start, you just start going, okay, first I need to be aware, where am I struggling with body image? Where do I notice it the most? And if you need to get a therapist or a coach, I would consider it for anyone. I think a coach or a therapist can benefit anyone. And then tell them you want to involve your spirituality. And there's so many beautiful cognitive behavioral tools. You can read beautiful books and listen, but just take one or two things you want to work on at first. Don't take too much and start there and check in with yourself for a therapist or and a friend at first and say, what's working? What's not? It's not like, oh, I didn't follow through. I suck. No, I didn't follow through. I wonder why. Why didn't I? Oh, this is a pattern. Okay. I'm going to make my goal a little smaller right now. And I'm going to continue to move forward. That self-compassionate self-talk is so critical. Yeah. And it's really important too, because there's so much negative self-talk that we like witness with people around us that we tell ourselves and to be able to like slow down and get kind of curious, like, why am I doing this? And what do I really want? And maybe I don't want to be this way. And maybe I am an awesome person and I don't need this. 
I don't need to lose 15 pounds. I don't need a boob job. I don't need a facelift, depending on the age you're at. I mean, there's a lot of that type of body alteration that people do. And it's not even because they really want to do it. It's like they're just doing it for what they think other people want to see them as, which is really scary. Well, and it points to shame right there. Like if I have this, look like this, lose this, then I will be what? And anytime there's something monetarily in there, it is a recipe for more pain. It's like we want no pain in the beginning with no long-term you know, consequences. And that pain, we learn from pain. Actually, my patriarchal blessing says fun and happiness are not the same frequently there is pain associated with true happiness. Yeah, it's interesting you just said that too, because I was just reading something recently and it says, as you get, as you become a more dedicated follower of Christ, you're going to feel more pain because you are taking on the burdens of other people and trying to help them. Totally. And you know, one beautiful thing that I feel like the spirits taught me over these last several years is I can't take on those burdens until I know me and my worth. And President Nelson, in it was probably two or three years ago in a Christmas devotional, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, ask how he feels about you and your mission here on earth. If you ask with real intent over time, the spirit will whisper the life-changing truth. And so if I can continue to ask that every day, and put in that effort and work on self and learn to be patient with myself, my capacity to look up and not out for my worth, it grows. So I feel like there's a conduit down from heaven. And as it's wider, I have more to give, more to reflect, more light to share. And when I'm focused more, which is okay, this is part of life on fear and myself, that conduit shrinks. And I try to help people more and I try to give more, but I don't have it to give. So I have to open up that conduit to be able to share more. Yeah, it's interesting too, because the prophet has been, and the word plead is used a lot when he's speaking. I'm pleading with you to like ask how the Lord feels about you and then wait and listen to what he has to say. Like tune into that voice. You know, that's your voice, and then the Spirit will speak to us on His behalf. It's really interesting when we take the moment to like really step aside and really tap into the Spirit. The peace that can give us in our life is immeasurable. And it's promised, right? Promised to us. As we do this, it won't ever be perfect. It's continual progression. And that's what to strive for. We're not striving for perfection. We're striving to progress and we will feel of that spirit. And then we will continue to grow and we will gain more spiritual gifts and we will be able to build up the kingdom of God. I love that. Let's end with that. That is beautifully said. I mean, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I guess just in summation, a little formula I like to use with my clients and curiosity so understanding you and where your thoughts and perceptions came from plus compassion add in daily repentance which really is involving the lord 
how can I improve? Please help me. I'm sorry for, and I'm willing to. That equals change, peace, and progression. So that's something I try and keep in my mind. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, you bet. I loved our discussion. I think it gives people hope and greater understanding about what this looks like. Thank you, Mary Alice, for what you do in spreading love and insight on every possible thing I can think of. I love what you do. You are spreading his light to so many. Thank you. That's the goal. (laughs) You're doing it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. I invite you to help us create positive change by sharing this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. I also invite you to follow the What Now podcast on Instagram at podcastwhatnow for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present podcasts. Thank you for leaving positive ratings and written reviews, which really help the podcast to grow. To leave a positive review, just subscribe to the podcast and scroll down the episodes and you will see where you can leave a positive rating and written review. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a What Now podcast production.